Hello and welcome to the Rio Europe podcast. I'm Richard Woolley. And I am Giulia Rusconi. We're coming to you this week at a new time and in a new format. In the past, we've used these podcasts to present bi-weekly updates on European distressed debt and bankruptcy situations. But we wanted them to better reflect the fact that Reorg's coverage now spans the entire credit lifecycle. More than half of our coverage focuses on performing credits and the primary markets, as well as stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-Reorg across all sizes of capital structure. We'll now be podcasting weekly on Tuesdays from our office in London drawing on the expertise of all of Reorg's market-leading trifecta of reporters, financial analysts and lawyers. We hope you'll enjoy these conversations, read more about them on our website and get in touch with comments and questions for our speakers. We'd be delighted to hear from you. Coming up on today's podcast, Magnus Sherman will give us an update on the latest fallout of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Robert Schack will be talking to Julia about the latest developments in the European primary market. And I'll talk to Connor Lovell about litigation affecting French fashion retailer SMCP. First though, Julia, as you're here, I saw Orpia was back in the news this morning. This is the French care home operator that's under investigation following the publication of Victor Castanet's book, The Gravediggers. Can you bring us up to date on that? Yes, sure. So today, the independent review done by Grant Thornton and Alvarez Marsha was mandated by the board of Orpea, was published. The review basically confirms some of the allegations made in the book, in particular on the improper use of public funds and the large use of temporary workers, which may have led to abuses of the residents. The French government investigation already brought this into light a few weeks ago, so nothing materially new since we published our analysis on Orpia on our, on our website. However, the, the auditors did not find a systemic issue around food rationing or a plan to understaff facilities in order to, to optimize profits. Also, Pea said it will postpone the publication of its annual accounts by about two weeks to, to May 13. Thanks, Julia. Now, Reorg's Samir team has been following the situation with Ukraine since Russia's invasion at the end of February. I caught up with editor Magnus Sherman to find out what the latest situation is. Hi, Magnus. Uh, Thanks for joining us. It's been just over two months now since Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, What's the latest, please? Yeah, we've seen a couple of interesting um, uh, developments in the past few weeks. One in Russia, I'll I'll pick up on on the sovereign. Uh, Russia didn't pay in dollars on its uh, sovereign eurobonds that they were supposed to pay in dollars. They paid in rubles instead. And ISTA found that that is a potential uh, failure to pay event. And basically that means that uh, by next week, unless Russia changes its mind and, and transfers dollars, it will default on its sovereign eurobonds, which is a, um, I think, pretty meaningful event. Uh, of course, Russia is opposing this and has threatened with with legal action so um so that's one to watch um the russian sovereign bonds are quoted somewhere in the teens now so um a lot of um a lot of interest in that and of course very politically sensitive um whether or not you as a western investor hold these um, sovereign bonds another thing i wanted to point out was uh, in ukraine on the other side uh, we're seeing some changes from from the corporate issues um, in March, we saw MHP, uh, a large agro-industrial company. They uh, sought and secured a, a nine-month, what they call a support period, which means they don't have to pay interest in the beginning. And 
Um, they got that with not that much objection from bondholders. Then this week, we expect Kernel, a, one of its competitors, Kernel, they, they produce sunflowers and then they crush that and turn it into uh, sunflower oil and sell that abroad and in, in Ukraine. Um, they paid on their coupons, they paid their coupon uh, last week on the 2024 notes and then tomorrow they will pay on the 2027 notes. So we're seeing some, some sort of signs that companies are getting at least a little bit more comfortable with the, with the risks now and they are still um, servicing their debt. So I think that's positive in, um, in Ukraine. I'll also note that DTEC Energy in March um, got a, an amendment to some of the, uh, to, to its uh, bonds um, whereby they pick half of the interest in March and half of the interest in June so that um, they just add that to the principle of the of the of that bond okay and what what's the kind of consensus if anything on the on the likelihood of russian russia's uh, compliance with these payment obligations i mean so for russia there's no question that they can pay these um they can make these coupon payments and make these uh, debt maturity payments it's a it's a technical uh, point where the um, correspondent banks in the us they won't allow russia to use the dollars that are parked in the us accounts and so russia they actually they they used um, new legislation to pay into something called c accounts which are ruble held, and the the payment in rubles is what triggered um, this issue for for Russia. I think Russia is likely to um, to just say, "Hey, we um, we met our obligations here." Uh, ISTA says the exact opposite, and I think Western investors are looking more to ISTA than Russia in this case. Um, so I think it could be a pretty bumpy discussion coming uh, on this topic, uh, potentially also coupled with a with a sovereign debt restructuring for Russia. Since the invasion began, Ryog has been logging the impact of Russia's war on Ukraine on the companies we follow, including some Russian entities which have been hit by Western sanctions. These are all tagged under our Ukraine Invasion Impact article tag. We now track all of these companies in a dedicated database, updated every other week, with our latest reporting on the names as well as where to find their capital structures. Look out for the next edition, which is due out on May the 5th. So moving to the primary market now, Rob, we have had the first proper high-yield bond launch since Russia's invasion of Ukraine shattered the market. Are things back to normal in primary? Hi, Julia. Um, Not quite. Overall, it's been a bit of a mixed picture. The market was widely expected to reopen after the Easter break, um, and we had a huge pipeline, such as uh, deals like WM Morrison's Unilever's T-Business Ecoterra and software business Citrix all expected to come but so far we've only had a handful of smaller issuers. Um, these included two debut issuers in the loan market with uh, Clinigen and Cooper both funding their respective buyouts. Um, and we've also currently got repeat issuer Refresco marketing a fresh buyout following its uh, majority stake acquisition by KKR. And this week, of course, as you mentioned, we have UK house builder Miller Homes, uh, which bought a 815 million sterling dual tranche bond to fund its buyout by Apollo. This is pretty interesting because it's the first real European high yield bond since the end of February, um, so as we've only had a few split rated deals um, uh, on, in the bond market since. Why do you think the market is so hesitant? Did the recent deals struggle? I think it's mainly been because the economic background weakened again recently, with equity markets falling sharply in the last two weeks on fresh inflation fears 
and continued concerns over China's difficulties containing COVID. The other headwind is, um, has been that high yield funds experienced outflows again over the last two weeks, although CLO issuances re um, remained pretty robust. But the recent yields themselves actually did pretty well, with both Clinigen and Cupa tightening terms during syndication. Clinigen ended up pricing at Uribel plus 475 bips and a 99 OID, which was a bit um, tighter than the initial OID. And Cupa actually managed to bring in its margins to 450 bips from 475 and printed at a, a 98.5 OID. So where does that leave us? And what does it mean for other companies that need to access the market? I think that as soon as the wider markets stabilize, more issues will come to market. And if sentiment holds up, we could quickly see a flood of new deals. Then we would also likely see some of the deals like Keta and Matalan that have impending maturities attempt to refinance again. Thank you, Rob. SMCP defaulted at the end of last year and numerous litigation proceedings have followed it around the world since. Connor Lovell, our senior legal reporter here in London, has been following these proceedings and I sat down with him earlier today to discuss the latest state of play. Hi Connor, thanks for coming. Hi. So SMCP, uh, this is a French fashion company and it's involved in litigation around the world. Lots of different courts in play. Uh, one particular case that um, has been in the news this week involves European Top Soho. This is a company uh, that issued a 250 million euro bond and was due to pay that upon maturity last September, um, but didn't manage to do so. Now, now bondholders are trying to recover against that um, and they are seeking recovery via these 12 million shares um, that were issued by SMCP. Um, but nobody seems to know where these shares are. Is that about the size of it? That's uh, that, that's pretty much it. It's, it's a bit of an open-ended mystery at the moment. The the shares themselves were were part of an overall package of security for for these bonds. The company defaulted, as you said, back in September, and uh, the trustee, which is Glass, enforced against uh, the shares. Um, that this equates to about twenty nine percent of the shares in SMCP. Um, for for some of the listeners, they might be familiar with the brands that SMCP owns. It's it's Sandro and Maj over in France. So they enforced against those shares, but there was a shortfall in the amount of money that they were owed. Um, so now they're looking to recover these 12 million shares. These shares were unpledged. They were not formally part of the security owed to, uh, owed to bondholders. Uh, however, they were the only creditors to uh, Top Soho, which is a Luxembourg SPV, uh, and these are the only other assets of the company. So they thought in an insolvency situation, if it came to this, there wouldn't be any trouble recovering them. However, this is where the story gets a little bit more interesting. So back in September, following the enforcement, it transpires that Top Soho sold the shares to an entity in the British Virgin Islands called Dynamic Treasure. And they did this for a consideration of one euro. Um, this was not originally public at the time. The trustee sought an injunction from the Paris Commercial Court to, to compel disclosure of, of, of the buyer. So this came out and um, and uh, this this helped the trustees and the bondholders, of which there are four very large bondholders in, in this group, really, who have the majority of the bonds. It's helped them work out where they were. Um, we have found that from uh, evidence submitted to the court in, um, in, Sing in Singapore that the shares were then converted from a pure registered form into a bearer form. This was in November. So according to glasses solicitors this makes them harder to trace and easier to dissipate 
The shares were then forwarded on to an account in Singapore uh, held with JP Morgan. Uh, this is the last known location of these shares. Now, the big concern for the bondholders is essentially that these shares will be transferred on perhaps onwards into mainland China, where it will be very hard, if not impossible, to recover these shares. The trustees sought and were given an injunction in Singapore to prevent any further dealing in these shares. However, um, it's not known whether this has been effective in practice or not. So that's where they were where they were last seen. Now, there's another spanner in the works, which is essentially that the trustees to Dynamic Treasure, that BVI, the, the original buyer of, of the shares, um, they say, and they said this in a sworn affidavit to the Singapore High Court, that the share transfer agreement may have been forged. Um, quote, we did not sign the exhibited agreement and we believe that the exhibited agreement is not authentic. The other side of that signature, uh, or the other signature on that agreement, which we have a copy of and it is on our site, um, is, is a woman called Chen Ran Kui. She's a manager at Top Soho. Um, she's also the daughter of the Shandong Rui chairman and a director of a number of other companies in that group. European Top Soho is a member of the Shandong Rui conglomerate, which owns um, a number of European fashion uh, brands. And at one point, it, you know, it, it intended to uh, be a challenger to the French group uh, LMVMH. Uh, so that's that for the Singapore courts, but this is also in the High Court in London as well. Uh, you've been following those proceedings. What's what's the latest there? Yeah, so so essentially the Singapore court uh, proceedings were stayed last month in favour of the proceedings in the UK. Um, there's an exchange of uh, complaints at the moment and a hearing is scheduled for October. Um, the trustee's case is essentially that the agreement, which I mentioned, uh, involved possible forgery, uh, is a sham and therefore void. So, uh, and they argue that the shares are held on trust for Top Soho, uh, meaning you know that the, they intend to recover the shares from the issuer as originally intended. Um, there is also um, uh, an appeal to the Luxembourg Court of Appeal. Um, to uh, initiate bankruptcy proceedings against Top Soho as the issuer. Uh, and the idea is that uh, they should be able to claw back, um, or that's what they wish to do, the shares as a transaction that occurred six months prior to the default, or failing that, six months prior to uh, this um, you know, potential ruling in the Luxembourg court. Over two days on May the 4th and 5th, Reorg and FT Live are partnering to deliver the inaugural Global Alternative Credit Summit. The conference will bring together leading investors, borrowers, lenders and advisors to discuss how to unlock opportunities in private debt as the credit cycle turns. More than 50 industry experts will tackle the topic of unlocking opportunities in the private credit markets and speakers will be discussing how private credit is evolving and shaking up debt markets, assessing the key drivers behind its current rate of growth and where the industry will go from here. Register for full virtual access to content over the two days by visiting alternativecredit.live.fd.com and using the discount code REORG15. As always, you can read more about all of these situations on our website, REORG.com. We'll be back next week with another REORG Europe podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Goodbye.